of the Replenish Me show, where I interview powerful and amazing women like our guest today, so that we can support you with strategies to build a system of self-nurturing, no matter what is going on in your life. Now, I've had Haley Gray on my show before, and it was a completely different conversation. Um, (laughs) This time, we're going to have like real talk about how to deal with um, having a child who is extremely ill and um, like how do you take care of yourself as a mother dealing with that and then you know how do you do that as a mother with your other children and the wider world she's done amazing job i i can't believe she's very vocal about it and i think that maybe we'll find out in a minute part of her self-care by being really vocal about it on social media. So welcome to the show, Haley. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me. This is fun. Yes. (laughs) And I hope that this will help somebody else too, you know. For sure it will. I mean, even the posts that I've seen you put on Facebook, definitely a lot of people are moved and touched, you know, by it. So why don't you start out by just telling us what the situation is? Sure. So in 2015, December 2015, my oldest daughter, um, who is autistic, she was born prematurely, fell off of a horse and landed on her head, sustaining a traumatic brain injury. And um, she had a lot of symptoms shortly after that that could have been related to traumatic brain injury, but could also have been mental illness. Um, She was in and out of the hospital for about three and a half months. And she was eventually discharged um, on a whole list of medications. And we're like, okay, so this is just a traumatic brain injury. And, you know, she continued to improve. A year and a half later, she decided in her infinite wisdom to go off of all of her antipsychotics and everything cold turkey. She didn't tell anybody because she didn't like the side effects. And this is something that's very common with a lot of people. And she went through a phase, which, you know, now looking back at it on it was very much mania, you know, where you're looking at somebody who's likely, you know, some form of bipolar. And um, in March of this year, she completely fell apart mentally. And, you know, her, it's almost like having somebody's mind, you know, and it's in their head and, you know, all the springs just kind of came loose at that point in time. She became psychotic, depressed, um, hearing voices, hallucinations, everything. And getting medical help has been really a challenge and um, really getting her the right medical help has been hugely difficult. And until somebody is suicidal, and potentially a risk to themselves or others, 
it can be almost impossible to get the attention of the medical field, you know, in the psychiatric community. Um, you know, it, it's really, I it just like mind blowing. I actually had to allow her to um, get to a point where she wasn't taking any of her medications because she was hospitalized and then discharged. And then she decided, okay, I'm not going to shower. I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to bathe. I'm not going to do anything. And I basically let her get to a point where she was completely so obviously incapable of taking care of herself and so obviously catatonic that it was like, okay, guys, finally you'll pay attention. And so they finally took her into the hospital and finally were able to hospitalize her and keep her in the hospital to start getting the attention that she needed. But it was a battle even like in the hospital um, because they really don't see complex cases a lot. Um, they're used to your standard bipolar or, you know, depression and here's a suicide attempt and so we go wham bam, thank you ma'am, get them, you know, on some antidepressants, get them stable, get them through, get them out and they're in and out in about two and a half weeks. You know, two to two and a half weeks is usually what you kind of see people moving through in. And I'm like, gosh, I really wish this were just bipolar or just depression. And unfortunately it's not because, you know, it looks to be, you know, much worse than that with a traumatic brain injury, maybe schizophrenia on top of that, hallucinations, all of those fun things. So it's been really a challenge getting her, you know, back to where she needs to be. And we're still not there. Um, so that's where we are now. We've been in the hospital for months. Um, we went from the UNC hospitals, and then she was eventually moved to um, the state mental hospital because there's no, not really great medical care and psychiatric care in our state. Um, you know, you start looking at what's available, and even if we were willing to pay out of pocket and send her to a long-term <laughs> treatment facility, she wasn't well enough at the time that they were getting ready to move her out of the hospital and wanting to move her out. You know, imagine that. So basically insurance is saying, well, we're not really sure we're gonna cover this anymore. And she's not well enough to be out on her own, but then they're kind of giving us the whole, well, you know, we need to move her out, but there's nowhere to put her except for the state psychiatric hospital, which has a months long wait list. That is, that's a lot. And so it's been crazy, literally. That that's the state of our. Um, no, she's back. <laughs> there she's is. back. <laughs> she's back. That's the state of our, um, I guess, medical system in this country, and I, I guess coupled mm -hmm. with our insurance system. Mm -hmm. I mean, not that it's better in other countries, because I hear a lot of complaints from my friends in the UK. You know, they're saying that it's very gen generic and not very helpful. But I mean, that is a traumatic thing when you have to watch your child not only digress mentally, but I mean, completely physically in order to get any kind of attention or help. You mm -hmm. know, it just seems like so. How did you deal with that? 
when it was going on. I mean, what, what were your kids, you know, your other kids, how were they? Right. Yeah. So, you know, it's very interesting, um, depending on which child you're talking about, because I have four children and this is just my oldest. Um, there were various degrees of awareness of what was going on with their sister. Um, my third child was basically completely unaware in his own little bubble of what was going on. So that's been kind of nice, but kind of frustrating at the same time of how can you not notice what's going on in the same house. Um, it was a huge distraction for my oldest daughter, for my um, younger daughter who's 17 and she's a junior in high, or was a junior in high school. Um, you know, so it really depends on, you know, who we're talking about as to what the impact really was for them and how they how they coped. I mean, for me, it was just kind of taking it one day at a time and just really saying, okay, this is not me. This is not, I'm not being cruel. Um, you know, we're going to figure this out and just slowly just taking it one day at a time and focusing on self-care even at the very beginning um because there was definitely a point right before this last hospitalization that i was like oh my gosh i don't think i can take it anymore my husband was out of town um with two of the kids doing college oh, tours, and i was here by myself with her with the youngest so it was really really challenging um you know definitely, um, you know, intense. I, and I'm not going to lie, you know, and definitely at that point for me, self-care was not a thing because I was so focused on, okay, I'm working and I'm taking care of her. And oh, by the way, I was in the middle of a launch at the same time. So, you know, nothing like, you know, having everything hit the ceiling all at once and then hit the floor. <laughs> um, and to me, so it's just, breathing through it and going, okay, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger, you know, and I just have to have a little bit of faith that, you know, this will be okay. This too will be okay. One day at a time. Wow. So, okay. So that's another element that we need to, I guess, address. So you're running a business. Yes. <laughs> you nine to five, you're like an entrepreneur. Uh -huh. <laughs> so you yep. have to, um, that's how you pay the bills. So you were able to manage a launch at the same time. Okay. Yeah, yeah it was crazy. I, I mean, it was really very, very intense and, you know, trying to balance everything. And there was just that moment where I, I understand, you know, it's not pretty, it's not going to be ele elegant, but okay, you have food, you're eating, you know, there's a roof over your head and you're physically okay and we're going to make it until tomorrow. And <laughs> some days that's all you can do. And, and there was that point where, you know, as long as I made sure she was checking in and she was eating periodically and then I got fluids into her and, you know, she's physically safe, um, I wasn't going to worry about the hair washing or any of that stuff, you know, or bathing or, you know, the fact that she, she didn't change clothes for five days straight. Yeah. And just 
figure out the things that are the most important and deal with those. So that would be what I would consider the epitome of mindfulness, right? Because so often when everything's going okay, we mm -hmm. don't think about what's truly important. So, mm -hmm. you know, in this space you were, your self-care was the mindfulness. It was just focusing what was important. And mm -hmm. I liked how you, you brought up that what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. I mean, um, you know, I see you're wearing a cross. I'm guessing you're a religious person. So, you know, God does, he doesn't give more to us than we can bear, right? And, and that's when you really have that relationship with him through the mindfulness, through really understanding what's truly important. And mm -hmm. so that's, that's, I guess, what pulled you through. That sounds like it, right? Absolutely. And, you know, that mindfulness. And I'm a very spiritual person, maybe more than religious. Mm -hmm. um, but it, I would definitely say that, you know, having that faith that, you know, there is a greater good and that for me, it, it, it is about drawing in deep on myself and saying, okay, what is important? What's a nice to have right now? What's a good to have right now? And what are the things I have to do today? And, you know, if it didn't have to happen, it didn't happen for a while. Yeah. And I definitely, um, cut out a lot of activities. I backed out of a lot of commitments super fast and said, I can't do this. It's not in my, my ability to do so. I can't handle this right now. And can you please handle this? You know, whether it was uh, certain responsibilities or obligations and um, you know, there were other things that I just outright canceled. Were you able to delegate some of the stuff surrounding your business? So my business is at a funny point right now where I'm actually just starting to grow aggressively. So the last couple of months I've seen tremendous growth in my business and um, delegation was not a thing that was really happening much at that point. I was, yeah, so it was a little crazy. Um, what's been kind of funny, I guess, and you know, God has a really funny sense of humor um, that my business has grown almost exponentially through this whole process. Yeah. Maybe because I've been so focused on here are the things that I absolutely have to do today yeah. and I'm not doing anything more and I'm not doing anything less. And these are the most important things I have to do and get done right now in my business, whether it's following up with people or just focusing on taking care of my clients or whatever have you, that's all I did. And that's all I've done for the last few months. So that's good. I guess we, we waffle about a lot and waste a lot of time, right? Mm -hmm. When we have it, we don't necessarily use our time wisely. So, um, <laughs> so now you're just like, okay, I got to pay the bills. So following up is very important. And that's something that we often overlook because mm -hmm. I, mean, I know like I'll have it on my list. I'll even put it on my calendar sometime. And, right. and then I'll be like, oh, you know, I'll follow up tomorrow. Right. Uh -huh. <laughs> but follow the money's in the follow up. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that, that's a very key point. So I want to take a minute and let's, um, Let's pull out three things 
as a business owner, when you have a family crisis like this, mm -hmm. what are three things that you absolutely must do? Because we talked about it, but it's kind of like buried. So let's just pull it out. Yeah. So I would say as a business owner, doing the things that are generating money, you know, and if it is something that you're doing in your business that might eventually generate income or it's nice to have, or it's cute, cut it out. I completely cut out all of my extracurriculars that I didn't absolutely have to be doing. Um, you know, it was important to me to be able to get through this experience because I knew from two years ago that, you know, that one did take me, um, through some really bad places and I ended up selling my previous business um, and actually having to declare bankruptcy because of the place that that event put me in. So I know what not paying very close attention to finances and um, you know expenditures and making sure that you know I'm doing exactly the things I have to do in my business will do. Um, you know, in an extreme case, you know, like the absolute worst imaginable. Um, so for me, it's about really focusing on the things that you have to do to generate money. So if, if your business, in, like in my case, is generating websites, then I'm making sure I'm delivering on time with a smile, with quality, and, you know, that everything is done, you know, and then like you said, you know, follow-up is critical. Um, you know, leads will come in and leads will go. And you're not necessarily going to close 100% of the clients that come to you. But gosh darn it, if you can't, you know, follow up with people and just be concerned, be real, it's, you're not going to get more clients. You're not going to get more customers. And, you know, yeah, I understand that it's a little weird if you're, for instance, an attorney or, you know, depending on your industry, but, you know, in my industry, the fortune is in the follow-up, you know, if you're in home care, um, or if you're in most industries, it's, it's all about follow-up, you know, and not like slimy follow-up. It's about real being <laughs> genuine, you know, how can I really help you? Right. And how can I get you to a point in your business where you can afford to hire me, right? Right, right. So like the last time, you know, for example, for follow-up, um, the last time you talked to someone, they, um, you guys had discussed the details of the website, but they were just, you know, there was just that one thing that they needed to check on, right? Mm -hmm. And then you just, you know, I know, but, and they had some other personal issue maybe going on and then you're, you just call them or reach out mm -hmm. and say, so how did that work out for you? You know, how is, you know, your mom feeling and all yeah. those kind of things. Yeah. You know, how is your dad feeling? Yeah. You know, or whatever. Yeah. I have, uh, you know, people that I'm following up with that are maybe not ready to buy yet, but that's okay. You know, a lot of times we lose clients because we just don't follow up enough. Yeah. You know, and then the other piece to me, it's not just like providing really exemplary customer support, but it was about um, getting my business processes back under control again, mm -hmm. you know, and developing more processes because in order to grow your business, you have to have processes in place and be able to follow them to a T all the time, you know, 
if you don't check your email, if you don't respond to people, if you don't tell people what to expect. So in my case, I actually have a really funny or people find it very funny voicemail message that says, please guys, don't leave me voicemail messages because I really am lousy at returning voicemail messages. <laughs> Text me or email me instead. You know, if you don't set the right expectation, then you're going to have people that are really unhappy. You're going to lose business that way. So for me, it was about tightening up processes and making sure that texts and emails and messages were all responded to in a timely manner and that our onboarding process is um, becoming more and more and more very clear so that as we grow, you know, everybody knows what we're doing and how we're doing it. And, you know, this is everything that we're doing here. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, one thing that I, um, it's kind of a carryover from when I worked in corporate is I always make a manual for whatever it is I'm doing. Mm -hmm. like, okay, so like in the beginning of my business, when I was just shipping books, it's like, okay, you know, there's a follow-up with the shipping of the book. Right. Right. So, you know, now like when I do my podcast, you know, there's like a template for that and, you know, the post, you know, the follow-ups for that. And yeah. So yeah, mm -hmm. procedures are so important and it may, you know, a lot of us may have left corporate because it was too structured, but that's why they have a corporation, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I mean, it's not so much that I, you know, really don't want to ever have any flexibility in my life or in my business. But I've learned that in order to have the flexibility, you have to have the structure because if you don't have to think about every single little thing you're doing, then you don't have to waste the brain power on every single little thing. So I know if I'm onboarding a client that we have to do A, B, C, D, and E, we have a checklist and we just go down the little checklist. It's much easier than me having to remember, oh yeah, well, I need to invoice them and I need to send a contract and I need to do this and I need to do that. And that, da, 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 right? It, you're just working your way through it and, oh yeah, let me create that questionnaire for the client again. You know, it's not scalable. So it's really about figuring out, okay, so here's my process. This is what I'm doing. And so I don't even have to think about it. It's like... Um, simplifying your wardrobe to the point of I have A and I have B and all of A goes together with almost all of B. So all my tops and all my bottoms, everything is mix and match. I don't really have to think about, oh yeah, that top and that bottom don't go well together. Yeah, exactly like that. So that, that is, the, yeah, because then um, you can give your mind and your heart to what matters, right? Mm -hmm. So basically, um, the structure is the self-care and, right. and it does allow you to be more heart-centered. So um, I want to go back into now, you were saying it was difficult to find um, medical care or the appropriate medical care. So what can you, what kind of, uh, I guess, advice can you give for seeking that? Right. Yeah. You know, so it's really hard to find appropriate mental health care in this country, in the United States. And I am told it's similar in Canada and the UK and other countries. Really, the first line of defense when you have somebody who is 
you know, suicidal. He was um, really having a lot of mental health issues, um, whether it's delusions and, you know, seeing all kinds of stuff and paranoia that has just totally had like a massive outbreak. You know, the first line of defense really in a lot of cases is the emergency room. Hmm. Um, that's where you first start to see treatment and understanding that it's okay to go get treatment. Um, you know, a lot of people want to avoid the emergency room at all costs and trust me, I understand why. Um, you know, so that's a go find a psychiatrist and, you know, maybe even talking to your family care practitioner, um, you know, certainly people that are suicidal, there's suicide prevention hotlines um, in almost every part of the country. Um, you know, so there's a lot of ways to get mental health. NAMI is one, NAMI.org. Um, so learning what's out there um, can be really, really helpful. There's a ton of resources. And what I'm learning is that, you know, you have your like generally available resources, but there's also a lot of stuff that you don't even know that's out there until you start to plug into the system. So here in North Carolina, my daughter, because she now will be considered to have a disability, will qualify for, for Medicaid, but she will also qualify for um, Alliance Mental Health. So there's a lot of things out there. And one of the things for me was, well, I don't know that we really want to go the route of filing for Medicaid or disability. And then I started to see what other options and resources really were out there. So it's not that, you know, it's not obvious what, what resources are out there until you really start exploring it and trying to keep an open mind um, and paying attention to, okay, so here's what's out there and here's what's not. Um, there's a lot of programs out there that are self-pay only too. Um, you know, but they're extremely, extremely expensive. I'm sure. So, you know, you have to balance your budget and your pocketbook with what's actually available. And a lot of times you don't find the resources until you've been, you know, into the system a bit to, to start to explore it. I know for me, finding somebody who is a care manager um, and a patient advocate was important. Yeah. Finding, um, somebody who could help us with placements was also extremely important. And who knew that there's somebody out there. Um, I, like I said, I have a patient advocate who's working with us, but I also have um, Lisa Reed who does placements, who, who literally works with families who have a teen or a young adult um, or, you know, up to about age 30 and helping them find boarding schools and mental health facilities and, you know, the neurological and psychiatric units, neuropsychiatric and all of that fun stuff. Um, and, and knowing what resources are actually out there and who takes insurance and who doesn't and rough costs for each one so that you can start to actually weigh your benefit, your costs and your benefits. So someone's it just asking around and saying, hey, do you know of such and such? 
um, or even just plugging in with the right resources. And there's some re really kind of like surprising and amazing people out there who do this stuff day in and day out. Wow. So, yeah. So it looks like there's a lot of like non-government agencies that are available to help out. Mm -hmm. And also, I guess, paying attention to the age group, it looks like is another way to look things up. Wow. That's great. Right. And there's a lot of resources out there that are available for families who have teenagers. Um, and many of them at no cost that may even be covered by your insurance. Um, and, you know, in our case, a lot of it is covered by insurance or is covered by the state. So figuring out what resources are available and then asking social workers, you know, if you do find yourself in the hospital, and just point blank asking what resources are available to me. That goes a long way too. So there's social workers in the hospital too. Are those the social workers you're talking about or? So yeah, there are social workers in the hospital. And I mean, we've asked our case managers in the hospital about resources quite a bit and which ones they recommend and which ones they've worked with. Um, the placement specialists that we've worked with are not employed by the hospital. So we've worked with some people inside the hospital and some people outside the hospital to try to come to a middle ground um, and find options available to us. And also to try to do some like longer term planning because we know that the hospital itself is not ever like a long-term care facility. Yeah. So they have actual like boarding schools. It, so that would be mm -hmm. like how they have senior care centers. These are like young adult care centers kind of thing. Is that it? So there are um, boarding schools that do work specifically with kids who have a range of psychiatric conditions. And then there are, you know, slightly older, there are facilities that are um, aimed at helping kids get back on track um, academically, maybe finishing high school, maybe not, maybe doing what they need to do to um, overcome addiction and mental health issues. Um, so there's a whole range of different options available throughout the whole process. There's group homes, there's um, different community resources. It, and, you know, there's more demand, unfortunately, for a lot of resources than there are spots. You know, so it can be harder to find the available spot in the right program at the right time than it is to find the best programs. So this is stuff that you've just found out about, like you didn't know when she had her original trauma. Did you dive this deeply before, I guess? No. Um, we made the assumption at that point that it was strictly traumatic brain injury um, and that we weren't dealing with a lot of mental health issues um, because it seemed like honestly, her recovery was following a somewhat normal trajectory for a traumatic brain injury in terms of recovery time. Um, the best thing you can really do with a TBI is give it time and space for recovery, especially when you're dealing with somebody who has double vision and headaches and all of those sorts of things, because trying to put them back into school too quickly just leads to frustration on everybody's side and on, you know, every side imaginable. So um, we mostly just assumed that it was TBI related. And it was only the second time when we saw major psychiatric issues that we were like, okay, this is not just TBI. We're dealing with something else in addition 
you know, is it caused by the TBI? Who knows? <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Could just be, you know, unfortunate luck of the draw, or it could be that we just, you know, did just enough brain damage to trigger into this, you know? So, yeah, we, we're, we're learning as we go. And unfortunately, with a lot of mental health issues, it can take a long time to get an effective and a complete diagnosis. So I say where we are at today in terms of diagnosis may not be where we are in five years because we may not still have an accurate diagnosis. You don't know until you've been through it a few times and you've gotten to see all of the symptoms and yeah. you know the full array and gotten <laughs> the full exposure to the funness that it is um, as to what you're exactly dealing with. Um, I, I wish I could say, yeah, you know, once and done and we're, woohoo, we're gone. Yeah. No. <laughs> Probably not going to get that lucky. Wow. But I like even how lighthearted you're keeping yourself through this discussion. You're saying that it's fun. I mean, clearly life is an adventure. You know, and you can look at it as you're being dumped on, or you can look at it as that, you know, mm -hmm. um, that adventure. So, and, and I'm trying to find a path forward that works for everybody and find a win-win in this, even if it's not what I imagined my teenage daughter's life would be like, or about to be 20 year old daughter's life, you know? because we all want the best for our children. And it's that understanding that, you know, sometimes they take very different paths and um, that that's okay. And that it's, it's going to be good for her in the end. And hopefully it will allow her to have the time and the space to, to recover and get the help that she needs to become the best that she can be without trying to push it, you know, and put the square peg in the round hole. So like, I just want to say that I'm observing how you are compartmentalizing, right? So on the emotional level, you're kind of letting go, right? Mm -hmm. But on the intellectual level, you are um, researching all the possible resources that could help her have mm -hmm. so many options. So this is, I think, a really key point in dealing with a mental health crisis with the young, with with your child, um, is to be able to do that. You know, um, like you said, we have those expectations, you know, for our children, but just releasing those expectations for their own good, right? <laughs> right. Well, and it doesn't matter, you know, whether your child, you know, is potentially going to go to an Ivy League school or, or what, you know, we all want the best for our children under every circumstance. It's just that understanding that, you know, that right path for them may not always be what we thought we wanted for them. I, I like that. That's, wow. I am so like grateful that I know you. <laughs> Likewise. I'm learning so much, you know, about, um, I guess, you know, parenting. <laughs> it's a whole process, isn't it? It is like an evolution. Like it doesn't, you know, we have that expectation. They'll hit this milestone and then, you know, we can a little bit 
be clean of them. Mm. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. It depends, right? right. And I mean, I, I think that there's always, I won't say always, you know, in, in years gone past and in other cultures, there has been this expectation of generations of the family living together, even once you've married or maybe had children, and that there's this intergenerational support. And it's only really since the 1940s that you've started to see this nuclear, you know, family breakdown kind of a thing where kids, you know, they grow up, they go to college, they get married, they move away, sometimes really far away. And they don't really tend to come back as much. And I think we've started to see, you know, even in the last 20 or 30 years, like even in Europe, because people can't afford to go buy a home now, just like straight out of college or do those things. Um, they really, you're starting to see that, you know, boomeranging back and students are now living with their parents until they can afford to buy a home, even if they've gone out and, you know, gotten the best possible education. But I mean, the expectations that, I mean, I certainly was raised with our, I won't say null and void, but gosh, they've changed so much because the financial reality that our children face now is so different and the climate is so different that, yeah, wow, you know, what I thought I was, you know, being raised for and my goals are so different from my kids because I, I don't know if they're ever going to be able to, you know, all go out and just go get their college education and go get the great job at the end of it. And then again, with you being in the home as an entrepreneur, they may not want to, they may just want to start their own business. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> not, they haven't been that impressed with mom as an entrepreneur yet. <laughs> so, okay, great. Um, I guess one other thing I want to, talk about is if you could give me the names of those organizations so I could put the links um, you know in the description sure. yeah um, so there's a lot of different resources that we've turned to um, Alliance Health is one of them um, and that's local to us um, Mami N-A-M-I dot org is one um, the college, the high school placement and college placement person that I was talking about is Lisa Reed. Um, and I can give you her website for that. Um, she really is amazing at, um, you know, helping you find all kinds of different ac academic situations um, for kids that, you know, maybe are not super obvious. You know, if your kid has you know, a great love of horses or wants to become a pre-professional dancer or, you know, who knows? There's like all kinds of different opportunities out there that, you know, we don't always know about as parents because we're not really taught to, to look for them quite as much. Yeah, that's true. Cause that goes back to our expectation of everything just falling into line. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like to explore the boundaries for some reason. <laughs> And it's a good thing because you're blazing a trail for all us other parents, you know, so, um, so that we can, you know, broaden our horizons and really embrace the parenting adventure. Yeah. And, and parenting is always an adventure. <laughs> it is 100%. Well, I appreciate your time today. Are there any final thoughts that you would like to share? Any things that you would like people to particularly 
from our conversation? You know, just that life is an adventure. And if you start to treat it as an adventure um, and accept that you can't always force the outcome you want, yeah. no matter how badly you want it. Just, you know, you, you, you strive towards goals and outcomes, but, you know, not being heartbroken if you, it doesn't quite turn out the way exactly like you thought. You know, it, it can be tremendously liberating. Yeah. Yes, I see that in you. I see that 100%. Oh, thank you so much for sharing your story and your resources, your time. And um, I want to thank all of our listeners and viewers. If um, you need some guidance in this area or with marketing and websites, that's what she actually does for a living. <laughs> um, I'll have those links below or above this video and audio that you can connect with Haley. So well, thank you. Thank you so much and have a lovely evening. This is your life, this is your mind, this is your world. Yeah, how long has it been since you got to think for yourself? Think, think for yourself. And how long has it been since you've had some time for yourself? Unwind with yourself. You can do anything, so don't you hide from yourself. Be kind to yourself, intelligent, amazing. Don't just break.